Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. If you would like to contact us, the email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511, even when we're not in studio. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. You can also go to radio.rehab and read my blog. This week, I am joined by Christine Benvenuto and Dr. David Pepper. Christine is a psychotherapist and co-founder at Oakland DBT and Mindfulness Center. Dr. Pepper is an MD family physician at Contra Costa County Medical Center. This week, we're going to be discussing Reimagine End of Life, a huge community-wide conversation about living, death, and dying. We talked about lots of interesting things, oxytocin and what the hell it is. Trust me, this is interesting. Suicide, how that factors into dying, the difference between suicide and assisted suicide. Death and addiction, how addiction is kind of flirting with death for a long time. How do our loved ones deal with us dying when we do and grieving people who are still alive? This is a conversation I've wanted to have with doctors, a grief counselor, a therapist, anybody for a long time. So I'm really excited about these conversations. As some of you know, I lost my dad 13 years ago. I dealt with that the quote unquote wrong way by drinking and using. Just a month ago, I lost my dear friend Chris G and I've dealt with it sober and I can't wait to discuss all the feelings that are coming up because this is completely new to me. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. So we were we were talking about um, grief and loss and what you just and about you know the stages of grief and the way it comes in waves, and I wanted to talk a little bit about grief because you were talking about your brother um, grieving somebody who's still alive. Yeah, because I know and this was really hard for me to hear um, that my mom told me at the end of my using that she had to grieve me like look at my baby pictures and give up on all the dreams and hope she had for what I would become and just realize that I was going to become dead that's it um and I had never really thought about that being a serious thing of grieving somebody because they're still here but that is a thing right yeah totally and in a way, you know, if you Alcoholics Anonymous is for the alcoholic, but then there's Al-Anon, there's the support groups, and one of the things they teach is you didn't cause this, and you can't cure it. And, of course, for a parent, you know, the ultimate in, like, oh, my God, what, you know, I have to let go of my baby, my child, even if you're 40. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, had to let go of my brother, and my father and I had discussions where we were like, you know, 50% chance he'll be dead. He'd been in the ICU bleeding and cirrhosis and, yeah. um, and in a way that's freeing because you then sort of say, okay, whatever I get past this is gravy. You know, if I expect them to be dead, then, but yeah, the grieving you talked about happens in the real time for everybody else. It's a little like after somebody dies, the friends go on grieving. And of course we want to be supportive and be there. And ultimately the addict has to hit their own bottom and has to, has to love themselves. I think that's that grounding, they have to find that, you know, if they're a rock in the stream and the stream is bubbling over them and bigger waves, they, they got to feel solid. They got to feel like they're there and they're connected and there's other rocks and trees and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and yeah, the other rocks can be sad. Like, hey, there goes another rock floating down the, getting bounced down the river. Um, of course, you'll end up somewhere else. Right. 
But um, yeah, a lot of us who are left there, um, and of course my brother's been sober, which is great, and I love him, and he's doing really well. And you look like you're doing great, and I'm sure your mom's thrilled to have you back. Yeah, yeah, she definitely is. I um, I always wonder at what point if she'll ever be afraid to hope because there was one time when I was like 22 she dropped me off in a place um, it's a treatment center that calls themselves for the reluctant to recover because you know at, at 22 it was my I forget how many it was like my 8th or something Fifth, I who knows at that point, but she dropped me off, and that was a lot. I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna get well, you know. And she, right before she got in her car, she went, "I'm afraid to hope." And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> well, when did that happen, you know? And I, but I guess there would get to a point where it's like where I'm in and out of treatment centers, and even that place, like I was in there for like seven solid months, and I was using again by nine. Right. So it's like I I totally understand that. Um. But, but the thing when we're talking about grieving somebody who's still alive, like my friend Chris, who just passed away, I've been like I thought about it at his funeral. I've been grieving the loss of him for two and a half years. Right. You know, He's been drinking actively. Yeah. And- since he started drinking again. Yeah. I've been like, where's my friend? Right. How did that last two weeks that you had with him, the time that you were together in community, did that give you time to really process, like, here we are, and this thing happened, and give you the closure that you wanted at the end? Not really, but in retrospect, yes. Like, in retrospect, I realized that he got what he needed, and that's okay. Um, He wasn't really coherent except for that last day in the hospital before they took him home. And even then, he was like a shell of himself. Like he, like he's this really energetic, bubbly, hilarious guy. And he, you know, it was his oxygen because he said even though his liver was nil, it was his oxygen that was going to kill him. Like you know, they'd get him up to go to the bathroom, and his oxygen would go down to like forty or something. Um. So, but when he said we were, I was holding his hand, and he said, "I'm going to die from oxygen." Not my liver. And I just remember being like, you just said I'm going to die. Like, and I really wish I had gone, how does that feel? Like, you're, you know, you're going to die. You're not like, if I die, it'll be from oxygen. You're telling me how you're going to die soon. You know, and, um, and he said the doctor had said something about four to six months. And I completely forget, like, quit listening to anything he would say after that. I'm like, four to six months, we'll make it a year. <laughs> you know, like, bargaining. oh, yeah, that's what I, I was like. I'm going to bring recovery here. Right. I'm going to make sure you do a fourth step because you cannot die with all those secrets. And, you know, I mean, I was in my probably in need of Al Anon, you know? Right. Well, yeah, sure. Support <laughs> yeah. groups and, yeah. and organic kale, I'm sure, helped him. And you bargained for, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff. Like, and, threaten God, you know, whatever. Right. When if, <laughs> and if you look at Dr. Gabor Mate, who's, Written a book called Yeah, the realm of Hungry Ghosts. Yeah. The Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Right, an amazing, incredible tome on kind of addiction. Part of his premise is that the addict is in in part seeking death. They're seeking relief from the pain of living, and that they haven't embraced or grabbed onto community, family, husband, parents, kids, in a way, or don't have that oxytocin connection, and they're they're floating off, and and they don't want to be there, and of course. You know, he would realm. It, it's only a fraction, but he would realm, the realm of food addiction, you know, alcohol, narcotics, driving fast, motorcycles. You could you could put a lot of things in there um, that flirt with death. Right back to the piece around the stages of grief. 
and grieving somebody who's alive. It's a lot easier to, there's not a lot of bargaining that you can, that you can do after somebody's dead, but there's sure a lot of bargaining that you can want it, that you can do with someone while they're still alive. And that back to the piece around your mom and just how long was she going to hope of, you know, giving up hope. I, that's pretty remarkable for somebody to get to the place where they're, they've actually been able to give up hope for their child. Right. Because the other side of it is if we look at the piece, if an addict is in isolation, then recovery is going to be even more difficult. Then that's the tension for any parent in or any loved one in somebody's If somebody is in love with an addict, somebody, friend, an addict, then disconnecting with from them, you know it's going to make their recovery even harder because they're not in any community that's going to yeah, because they cut themselves off. That's a friend of mine who has um, like 20 years sober was talking about, we were talking about my friend Chris, the one who just passed away. And she was saying, you know, what's so great about it is that we die alone. We relapse. We die alone. Sometimes they don't find us for a couple weeks. Like that's that's right. the end of an addict. And he died surrounded by people going, I love you over and over and over. Right. You know, even though he was like kind of out of it and not coherent at the end, but he was coherent the first couple, you know, the first, well, the first week. And that's all he could hear was, I love you. I love you. I love you. Right. And of course, you know, death ends a life, but the relationship struggles on and you guys in the community and the other connections are part of what helps his community and his friends not relapse, for example. Yeah. And, you know, deal with the connection and having a ceremony and having a service and honoring and, and really embracing the life someone had. I mean, Torah teaches that, you know, de- the moment of death is great because we have the whole life to look back on. And we often forget that. Yeah. We, we bury in the fear of like losing somebody. And we don't remember like, wow, they, they're a grandfather, they're a wife, they're a daughter, they're a radio host, a uh, doctor, whatever, whatever we are. We've we've done lots of things. And. You know, the the trick is always to remember that, and that keeps us connected. Yeah, definitely. Like when my grandfather died, it was so beautiful. It was the greatest thing. Like he waited till he was ninety three and a half. I think he waited till we were all around him and just sat up and died. Like it was amazing. And then because he had been a merchant, you know, since his parents had come over like from the old country, he, they called him the mayor. This is in the south, the mayor of Washington Street. And and we drove with his body, you know, all and everybody came out of the store. And like waved and it was just it was a beautiful thing. It was so easy to celebrate the life of this man. But even with my friend who passed away was 42. I was at first resentful about I felt like, God, why are why is everybody just talking about all the good times in high school? And nobody's talking about why is there a 42 year old in an urn? But then afterwards, I was like, because that's what they needed to do. And that's kind of what he would have done, wanted done. He did. He wouldn't have wanted anything sad or gone. This is what addiction does. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he wouldn't have wanted that he would have wanted to send off talking about how great he was yeah and if we don't learn from our lessons you know then there's some balance there that we hold and of course the other real imbalance in western society is the average 40 year old has seen 25,000 people die on tv usually come back next week or next movie but not a single one in real life so even your grandfather people are not dying surrounded by family and we're we're divorcing ourselves from the reality of, you know, a little bit of drool and a little bit of poo and, you know, all the kinds of a little bit of dirty parts that are great. But it's also the humanity and the reality piece of it that 
is displayed poorly on television. You know, it's always a guy gets shot and goes, oh, I love you, honey, and collapses right. in her yeah, arms. Yeah. You know, which is like totally unrealistic. Yeah, I was watching, there's this band called Eagles of Death Metal. They were in Paris and there was like a terrorist attack. And the guy, the lead singer, obviously has massive PTSD from this event. And they recorded a special where they were talking about it. He was saying stuff that I was like, oh my God. Like he was saying when somebody gets shot, they make horrible noises. Like yeah. they don't go, oh, you know, like Sofia Coppola in the end of Godfather 3 where she says with full voice, she goes, dad, <laughs> and right. falls over. Right. Very beautifully falls over. Right, perfectly. Yeah, nice yeah, hair yeah. and makeup. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like he, got, he had teeth in his face and stuff from people just being shot in right. front of him. And those are, yeah, those are things that we don't think of. Right, and I did ER for 10 years and, you know, Central Valley and, you know, there's not, there's not always that many good deaths. I mean, especially trauma or, you know, even cancer. We're, we're so afraid of it that we we kind of disfigure people. We put tubes in. We, you know, put tubes on. We cut them open. We poison them. And they become a skeleton of themselves. And we don't even see that process as kind of in the hospital or in the nursing home. And people stop visiting in the worst case scenario of, like, dementia. Yeah. And it's even sadder because... We're just letting their lives slip away. And, you know, if you think about, I don't know if you ever saw Philadelphia Story, probably made when you were born, but <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom Hanks. I know what it is, it's but a, I haven't seen he it. He gets AIDS. It's the yeah. early day of AIDS when we didn't have a cure. And he just decides, I'm going to have a party. And I'm going to basically commit suicide before I get to some point that I can't walk, can't talk. And, you know, California now does have assisted suicide, which... I think it's an option that's great to talk about, but but that idea of being able to choose your death and, and go before you're rotting or before we park you in a nursing home or before, because, or at least deal with the, deal with the reality, deal with the difficult emotions and make it real so that people get what we're dealing with. Don't sort of put it on a TV and put it on a big screen and make it sound like medicine can just make you all perfect and you'll just have this perfect death because that's actually far from the truth about what medicine does right right reimagine is much more about and my bias is much more get to hospice get home you know get your family around have your conversation and be very careful if you don't have a family practice doctor or a primary care doctor you've talked to be very careful about what medicine will do because before you know you're on the train to chemo and radiation and you're going to the hospital twice a week and you're on dialysis and you don't have any time for life right do you think that there it's a better idea to to just let let the disease take its course than to do all of the Well that gets back to the prognosis, right? Right. You yeah, know, okay. you're forty and you got a lymphoma, pretty curable. You might have twenty or thirty good years. You're ninety two and you know, you've had a great life. I mean, I would be very reticent to do anything to it. Anybody over eighty five. Yeah. The stats are over 85, half the people have dementia, so we're sort of prolonging the dementia. And if you've had any family members that have died of dementia, it's 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 kind of the worst story because people, they're, they're no longer there. Yeah. You know, we had a family friend who was like in a demented state being forced, you know, fork fed by an assistant and they had a lot of resources, but he wasn't there for the last year and a half of his life and it just faded. So I'm much more proponent of sort of living you know, if you ask doctors, there's sort of three ways to die. There's the car accident, boom, or heart attack. Right. No, we don't like that. There's the dementia, take five years, Parkinson's, long cancer, not so good. You know, most doctors would say, give me the pancreas cancer or, you know, maybe even a lung where I've got kind of 
four to six months. And yeah, take me home, surround me with flowers, give me a bunch of morphine if I need it. You know, right. not a time to, you know, addiction there is like a totally different realm. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Because like, you're on. not going to have the physical strength to no. go cop dope. Yeah. Give me heroin, you know, yeah, <laughs> right, whatever. Yeah. Right? And, but, and have a party and celebrate. And I think Christine could probably comment, but having that time, you know, short enough, but not too short, long enough, but not too long where we can have those conversations. Make sure your will's in place. Make sure family knows you love them. You know, going back to the 12-step, calling in that guy who you've been wanting to apologize to about the whatever happened five years ago. Right. You know, the aunt who you haven't talked to in 10 years. It's the dying person has that chance to really make bridges that are very unique and very powerful and can be very healing for the rest of the people they're leaving behind. Yeah, and I know that's important because, like, you know, I was saying to somebody about the funeral, I was like, well, the funerals are for the living. You know, they're for us, not so much for them because they're gone. But it's important, I think, that we have everything in place so that we can be okay afterwards. Yeah, but also the person who's going to die, I think knowing one of the things we're an advocate for is having somebody write their last will and testament. This is what I did. This is what I want to be remembered for because— you know, that's important for a person to take stock of what they've done. You know, I've had three kids, six grandchildren. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's that they were a pioneer on the radio show and they want to know that they brought a conversation to thousands, tens of thousands of people. And we might not know that about you in 40 years when you die in your bed because maybe you've had a whole nother life. So giving somebody a chance to kind of reflect on their life, find the best parts and have their friends also chime in because we may not know the good we've done. We may not know the person we reached, you know, the addict who listened to your show, who who really got sauce and went to AA. Right. Said, wow, this is, you know, I, I have a role model. I have a connection. You know, I have a Facebook friend. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. So no, that's interesting that you're saying that because my friend who just passed away wrote how he wanted the end of his life to look right when he started drinking again. I thought this was something he wrote on his deathbed. It wasn't. It was something he wrote when he started drinking again right. because he knew yeah. this is it. Um, I don't know how. He, well, I mean, it was kind of a choice. But, yeah, he wrote who he, he wrote very specific people who knew him, who he wanted to speak, who knew him from different aspects of his life. And it's like now when I look at it, it's like, oh, he wanted that guy to tell the high school glory days. He wanted me to talk about radio. You know, like he obviously put together how he wanted to be remembered. And, you know, now that I think about it, I guess he really got what he wanted in the end. Nice. And it also sounds like he wasn't able to see his life outside of being addicted. Like the the most that he was able to envision for himself was what he had accomplished up to that point with the people he had connected with. But he had sort of gotten to the end of how far he could see for himself. And he started drinking again and... kind of imagine him going down himself going down to the road to death and that was it yeah there was nothing new that he saw happening for himself so if you look at addiction as a failure to be able to see a future for yourself that is something that's thriving and interesting that's one way to look at addiction yeah i because i think that that because for me i was like god is this better like do you really think this is better than helping a newcomer or, you know, taking an inventory of yourself, like, this is what you'd rather do, like, because this looks like, you know, this is like hell to me, the way the way he was living in the end. But, yeah, now that makes sense. He wasn't able to envision anything else for himself. Yeah. Can I make one comment? Yeah. Kind of suggestion? You've used the word passed on. 
a number of times. And those people who deal with death actually encourage people to use the word death because there's a, there's a finality to it. Whether you believe in afterlife and reincarnation, all that is different. But the passing on, whether you're passing gas or passing a car, has kind of a euphemistic piece. So a little more difficult to, to use the word death, but there is a finality. And like children will use it. Mm-hmm. Children actually do quite well with death. So just something to think about in terms of as you frame out um, the dying process. Yeah, it's funny because my um, aunt, my aunt's daughter, I guess is my cousin, but she's like she was four at the time. So it's hard to look at her as, as a cousin. But uh, when we came back from the funeral home, we were getting my grandmother prepared after she passed away. We came home and she walks in the room and goes, my grandma died. We were like, oh, my God. You know, everybody was like. But it was like, wow, she's just so okay with it. Yeah. And yes, your grandma did die. Yeah. And, you know, that's okay. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're not going to see her again, you know, that we know about in this life. Certainly not in this life. And um, she's not going to reappear on a movie. Right. Right? It's not another episode. There's a finality to it. And so it is difficult. And then people do use that term. And I think what you're speaking to is if we were more comfortable talking about death from the beginning with our kids, with our family, and go- growing up with the sense that there's an immediacy about life and we don't know when death is going to come and how do we really make the most out of the time that we have and get a sense of like, this is what happens at death and it's, it's not something that we're kept from. How would that change the quality of how we live our lives? How much is, how, how much do people come into addiction without really having a real sense of future? Everything's far away. There's no sense of anything. Addiction is like kind of easy for the moment rather than from like early on, we have a sense life is precious. Life is immediate. Media, you know, we only have now, and we're we're really taught how to make the most out of out of life by a family support system that's grounded that like takes care of us. Now, and I think you know, Christine and I, you know, in the midst of reimagining you know, the, the whole conference, um, now have East Bay Center for Living and Dying, and it's specifically East Bay Center for Living. And dying, and the idea being that if you can take the dying piece and sort of package it, feel comfortable about it, and use it as a lens to ask yourself, are you living? Are you really doing the things that you want to be doing? And one of the things I've, I see in medicine is people just, their life gets consumed in the end by medicine. Going to the doctor, my dad, 86. I got to go to this cardiologist. I got to go to this doctor. I can't leave town because I, I can't go on that cruise because of this. It's like we, we stop living. So I think East Bay Center for Living and Dying and the intentionality behind it is to really use death as a, as a lens and then get living. I'd like to thank Christine Benvenuto and Dr. David Pepper for being on the show. If you would like to know more about Reimagine End of Life, you can go to the website, letsreimagine.org. Stay tuned tomorrow. We'll be back with more of the conversation. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll